0: seated. Well, good morning and welcome to Faith Baptist Church. It is great to be with you and it's even greater to worship and thank God for his great grace to us. And he has something in store for us this morning because he has given us his word and he has called us to gather. And even if you didn't feel expectant For God to do a work this morning, believe that He will. That He will come and encourage your heart and connect your heart to faith in Jesus Christ and transform the way you think about everything. I want to welcome you, whether you have been coming for many years or this is your first time. Welcome to faith. And we're glad you're here. I hope you feel welcome because you really are. And if, if you could take, there should be a, a little insert in front of your chair that has an orange sheet, an l- orange card. And if we can pray for you, if we can help you know more about Jesus Christ, or you want to be on the newsletter or get the newsletter or the updates that we get in our church, Would you fill that out and put it, either give it to one of the ushers when you leave, or put it in the offering? That would be a help to us. Um, That we want to know who you are, and we want to know how we can best minister to you and be a help to you. If you are new to Faith Baptist Church and you are interested in getting to know more about it, say you want to know what do we believe. What is it? I want to know more about Jesus. I want to get to know other people in the church. Well, one of, the op- one of the opportunities is for you to join us at 945. It's our Sunday school hour. We have different classes going on. I lead a class called First Things at Faith. And that really talks about who we are at faith, what do we believe, what do we do, what are we all about. And it's a way to get to know me and some others. And so you can join us at 945 next Sunday. Um, and so I want to invite you to that. We also meet every Wednesday. That's, that's a whole church gathering really want you to join us as we seek God in prayer. We seek God and we study. We're going to we're studying line by line through the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5 and 6 That's 6:45. Right before that at 6:30 all the kids and teens meet. And so if you have children or teens you can come and bring them as well. Okay. Several announcements in addition to this. You may have received an e- you should have received an email from Jackie Cochran this week on, about helping in the nursery, and the more people that help in the rotation, that means more people are serving, and more people don't need to miss the service, but are helping others out, and helping our parents in the service, and so would you respond, would you prayerfully respond and help serve uh, in the nursery as you're able, and respond to an email, or you should have in, in one of the seats in front of you, a new on ministry response opportunities and and you're going to get opportunities follow up, in fact I'm going to say something in a little bit bit where you'll be able to use this card for as well for worship ministry but maybe if you could take that out just even to look at it um, there might be something on there that says yeah, that's where I want, I feel like I need to help out in this area be a blessing. Several announcements first of all, the men's ministry we're having men's breakfast coming up in a few weeks, two weeks from now on February 13th, uh, we'll meet at 8 o'clock, have breakfast. We're going to talk about uh, another s- segment of what does it mean to be a biblical man. How does it, what does it mean to, to live sacrificially and to lead? Whether you have a family or not, We please come at 8, we'll eat, and then we'll have a study time. That goes till about 9.15 or 9.30 on Saturday morning. Uh, we are having a baptism uh, on Sunday the 14th. It's only two weeks from now. Baptism is for everyone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. And in obedience to Jesus Christ, they want to publicly confess it through baptism. And in baptism, as you go in the water and come out of the water, is the symbolism of, I died with Christ, I turned away from my sins, and I, by God's grace, I've raised from the dead, and I, I'm, I'm called to live a new life. And, I, and it's a public thing because we want others to see what God has done and testify to God's grace. And so some of you might be here saying, man, I, I've never been baptized that way. I've not been baptized as a believer. I and, and know that I need to. Don't delay obedience. And, and would you talk with me? Would you talk with Pastor Jay or, or or let us know this week? Even call the church office and I'd love to talk with you about that. And have you baptized. Uh, Okay, coming shortly after that, February 19th, I just want you to put on your calendars all families that have kids. This is for all families that have kids in faith, faith kids, which is really fifth grade and under. Um, We are having a family movie night, just be a good time on a Friday evening. Uh, Wes has put that together and others and we're going to meet here at the church at 7 o'clock. I'm sure there will be popcorn and other treats, and we'll, we'll enjoy Monsters University on, on the February 19th. Now, for all of you who are unlike me and are very musical, um, there, there are some of you out there, or you're very technical, and maybe you've worked sound or audio video and, and are interested in serving and using those gifts, and we need you to do that. And I, I'm so thankful for this team right here. And for that team back there, as they help us worship God, they help uh, make the service is is hopefully undistracting and with as much excellence as possible. And they strive for that too, in a God glorifying way. If, if you if you would volunteer and say, "Hey, hey, I, I think I would like to help out, whether I play the piano or sing or play an instrument," um, would you would you also fill one of these out? There's a there's a place for that or contact. Pastor Jay about that, that would be really appreciated, and I I believe there are some of you here that want to do that, and we'll we'll plan on doing that. We're going to conclude, we're going to conclude this time, we're going to go into singing again, but with the fighter verse, or I should say fighter verses, there's a lot of them here, but they're really good. It's Romans 11, 33 through 36. How many of you have at least looked at it this week. If you have looked at it this week, would you raise your hand? Good. Uh, every week, we take a passage of Scripture. You should have a bulletin, a half sheet of paper that you got when you came in. It has the order of service. There's a there's a Scripture there. You can cut it out and use it. Use that this week and look at it on a, on a daily basis. And if you can, even work on it to put it to memory. Is there any anyone would that would like to, to boldly say this passage of scripture. Really, it's a benediction. Yeah, Elijah, would you stand up and say it nice and loud? Let's say it together. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable are his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, who has been given his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Father, I pray that You would help us this morning. God, there are needs here that I know of, and there are needs that I surely do not know, but You know every one of them. Oh God, the depth of Your riches and Your wisdom and Your knowledge are unsearchable. Your ways are inscrutable. We can't know your mind, the things that happen in this world. We sometimes want to be your counselor and advise you in our prayers what to do, but you, there is no one that can counsel you. You are glorious in your wisdom. You never make a mistake. You are working in our lives. There are pain that is right now going on and being experienced among your people or the people in this room that we don't understand, but you do. And God, I pray that you would show us your ways, O God. I pray, God, that you would answer the prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed to the Colossians that we're going to look at this morning. God, I pray that you would teach us in a greater way what it means to be filled with the knowledge of your will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we would live a life worthy of the Lord, fully I pray, God, that at this church, and I pray that every single individual right now in this room, in this building, would be filled with a a profound appreciation and love and awe of your plan in Christ Jesus. And I pray that you would cause everyone in this room to bear forth fruit in every good work, to increase in the knowledge of God our Savior, that they would be built up and strengthened so that they would be enduring and patient and they would joyfully give thanks to you, Father, who has caused us to be part of this in the inheritance of the saints. Father, we thank you that we can rejoice in the gospel of Jesus Christ that you have transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of your dear Son. God, help us to love that and appreciate that. I pray that you would help those who are grieving this morning, help those that are rejoicing, help those that are this morning. I pray that we would come together and we would be united in one. And I pray, God, that the glorious gospel of Jesus would spread past this building, would spread spread to our neighborhood, would spread to our schools, and would spread to our workplaces, and would spread wherever we go, and the light of the gospel would shine brightly. I pray that it would shine brightly into Fenton and into Linden, into these restaurants and into the gas stations and it would, into the stores. And I pray that it would spread because and it would be clearly your work. So God, now, would you help us as we sing? Help us not just to say words, but to sing from our heart with gratitude and faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Please join me by turning to Colossians chapter 1. If you're you're new to faith, what we're doing is we just began a study through the book of Colossians. It's Paul's letter to the Colossians. It's in the New Testament, halfway through. It is a prison letter, and it's because Paul wrote it from prison. Probably in Rome, as he writes and sends a messenger to this prison small church, a church that he had never yet met in person. But he is the spiritual grandfather of this church because a man named Epaphras came to him and he shared with him the gospel, probably in a town called Ephesus, and Epaphras' life was changed. He was saved. He was rescued by this message of the new king, the gospel, which was the message of salvation for the world for gentiles and Jews to non-Jews and Jews and he went back and he told his town and a movement sprung up a church grew and a work was begun we're going to take the passage of colossians 1:9 through 14 and we're going to we're going to look at that this morning before I do that, I, and I'm going to pray in just a minute, but before I do that, I, wa- I want you to ponder this story from the Old Testament. Imagine you could go back and you could talk to somebody, a 14-year-old boy who lived 3,500 years ago. I just wonder if he would say something like this. I, I, it would be so far, because I don't understand all the cultural feelings of the time, but, but hear this. Talk to you, and he he said, "Life has been very hard growing up in, as a Hebrew in Egypt. My older brother died when I was eleven. I was told it was at work, and it was an accident. He was about seventeen years old. My parents rarely smile; they're always working, and I'm told that they might look much older than their age. Until recently, all I've known is bondage or slavery. Do you know what it's like to be a slave? I think it does things mentally to a person. It's even hard to explain." Well, anyways, Pharaoh, man, every time I think of the name Pharaoh, I shudder. His, he has made life almost unbearable. He was the most powerful man in the world. And then up until last year, I thought that no one could ever challenge or thwart his power. Of course, growing up as a Hebrew boy, my mom and dad taught me about Abraham's God, Yahweh. He is the creator of the world, you see, and although mankind has rebelled, all of us have, he made a promise to our forefather Abraham that he would use his family, that's us, the Jews, to make all things right. He promised us a blessing and honor and all that stuff. But for years I began to think it was just a myth, maybe a story to give us hope in our land of slavery and bondage. Then things began to change. A man named Moses, was ra- who was raised in Pharaoh's ha- palace. Now, believe it or not, that he was a Hebrew, but that's another story. He was exiled into a desert for over 40 years, and he just got out, and he began to petition King Pharaoh. He insisted that he let our people free to leave Egypt, to leave slavery. In the span of about a month or two, Wild and fantastic events took place, causing a mysterious hope in my heart. And one day, my dad, who was an elder in our tribe, told mom and aunt, all the kids to pack. He said we were leaving, but could not explain. That evening, he butchered our finest lamb. Now this shocked me. And along with our neighbors, he wiped his blood on the doorpo- the blood of this lamb on the doorpost of our house. Now. I know what that it means, but it was extreme. I know now what it means, but it was extremely puzzling to me at the time. That night, with our coats and our sandals on, we ate the lamb roasted with bitter herbs and yeastless bread. Talking about an eerie night, it's hard to explain. In the morning, we left. We took all that we could carry, and we departed. And we were not alone. We. Men and women, children, sheep, goats, cattle, you name it. We all began to move out of the city, southeastward, out of the land of Goshen. Talk about exciting and scary. What would the soldiers of Pharaoh do? I couldn't see him, but I was told that Moses was leading us out of the land. God was finally rescuing us. Pharaoh's son was killed in the night, we heard. And he finally gave us permission to go. Apparently, Yahweh, our God, gave power to Moses to persuade Pharaoh to free our people. We followed Moses down to the Red Sea. It was like a dead end. It's a quite an incredible story in and of itself. And Pharaoh and his elite army, his elite division, were approaching our camp. Moses led us through the sea to the other side without even getting wet. It's really hard to explain. Anyway. As the Egyptians entered the Red Sea in in a furious pursuit, the water engulfed them, and I assume killed them. I saw for myself that God is more powerful than any pharaoh. The God of Abraham is fulfilling his promise, and he delivered us from the domain of darkness that we knew of slavery in Egypt. And from what Mama said, he's bringing us into a promised land, Cana. In the meantime, God has provided for us food and drink. He directs us and reminds us of his presence with a gigantic cloud in the day and at night a pillar of fire. It's scary but awesome. For 40 days we camped by a mountain. Sinai is what dad called it. While Moses went up to hear from God. Sure sounds like a terrifying experience to me. When Moses returned, he gave the elders, including my dad, instructions from God. God has told us that he desires from us he told us all that He desires from us and how we are to live before Him as liberated people, entering a new land. He plans to bless us and prosper us beyond our imaginations. You should hear the promises. The new life is scary, but it's wonderful. Now, over 1,500 years later, the Apostle Paul wrote to a small town in central Turkey. And in this town this named Colossae, It was mainly consisting of Gentiles, not Jews. Gentiles means non-Jews. And he reminded them what Epaphras, their missionary that came into there and started their church, recently told them. That the Hebrew God, Yahweh, is in the process of making all things right. Jesus of Nazareth is is the son of that God and is the new Moses, a much better Moses as God promised, He has delivered both Jews and Gentiles from the domain of slavery and bondage to sin and has defeated all powers, all pharaohs, all anything that could oppose God, and it challenges authority. Gentiles, believe it or not, are now qualified to be part of the people of God, not just Jews that are circumcised. But everyone, and we receive the forgiveness of sins and redemption. And just like the Exodus, it is now important that we as liberated people know how we're to live. Know how we're to function. How we're to live as these new people in a new age, in a new place, in a new land, living in Jesus Christ. I think that's the setting, the background that Paul wants us to understand. When he uses the language at the end of the passage, I'm going to read to you now. So look with me as Paul starts his letter. We, we've been in the beginning of Paul's letter already. And Paul, last week we saw Paul thanking God. He said, I thank God because the gospel is going everywhere. And I thank God because the, the fruit-producing hope of the gospel has transformed your life and it's going to continue to transform and it's doing it everywhere in the world. So let's look at verse 9 through 14. And so, Paul says, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner of worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transformed us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father, I pray in just these few minutes that You would help me to bring out the content and intent of your word, and that so doing, you would so move in our hearts to long for what Paul prayed for, and even fulfill what Paul prayed for in a greater way this morning. I pray that it would produce what Paul has called us to produce, what Paul was burdened and longed to happen, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I want you just in this brief few minutes to understand what's happening in this paragraph. It's, it's it's extremely relevant. It's very important for you and for me. We need it. I need it. You need it. What Paul did at the beginning of this letter to the Colossians is he said, he just finished saying, I thank God for this. And what he did in this letter is he said, and now I pray for something. Every time I pray for you, I pray this for you. And, and Why would Paul say that other than to say, because it's really important that you get it. And not only that God will do it, because this is something God has to do, but also so that you have an aim. You have a direction, a purpose. Every one of us wants to have a purpose. I think we would all be helped this morning at Faith Baptist Church if we all took Paul's prayer and started to make it our prayer. If everyone here said, God, I want to take Paul's prayer request for the Colossians, And I want to make it my prayer request for myself and for this church and for my family. It would be transformative. It really would. I believe God will honor and answer this prayer. Paul has a prayer. He has a burden. And before I go into this prayer, I want to make three quick observations that Donald Carson in one of his books talks about. And so this is what he says. When we see this prayer, I want us to see three observations. Paul, number one prays for people he never met. So that should say to me, I want to pray for people that I don't even meet. There's some people in this room that you need to start praying for. We're going to come on Wednesday nights and we meet and we pray for one another. Would you start praying? Paul Paul says, from the day I heard. He had never come and seen the Colossians, but he started praying for them. And, and I, I I have prayed for you. There are people in this room praying for you in this room that have never met you. And God does a work through those prayer. That's the first observation. We pray even for people we never met. That's what Paul did. Secondly, Paul prays persistently. He says, I pray every time I pray for you. He said, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. He says, it's continual. I I didn't just pray one time and it didn't happen, so I stopped. Maybe you have things in your life that you're aching for. Maybe you're coming and say, God, I want to finally get it spiritually. I want to fill that spiritual void that I have. Maybe I knew it when I was a young person. Maybe I knew it as a teenager. Maybe I knew it as a young kid. I remember that, but God, I want it. Paul said, I'm praying for something spiritually in you, and I do not stop praying for it. That's the second thing. He prayed persistently. And third, Paul prays for what? He already just thanked God for. So God says, I'm thankful this is happening in you, but by the way, I'm praying that it happens even more. He's for growth. He wants, he's longing for more. God, God's intention in this church and in this world and in this community is for his churches to rise up and not be content with a lukewarm Melancholy, wishy-washy, yeah, I guess I have faith, kind of religion. God's plan is for the, the truth of God's words to ignite in us a fire and a love for God and a love for what He's done that transforms every one of us. And, and sometimes he does that in our lives in progression in different ways and some of you might have been might be a Christian for 50 years but the next 10 years will be the most spiritually strong years of your life because God is choosing right now to answer this prayer. Okay, so what is it? I wanna, this, is what, this is simply what I want to do. I want to take what Paul said and say, what did he pray for? Why did he pray for it? Because it's in the text. Because he's got a name. He says, I'm praying for this. But I'm not just praying for its own sake. I pray for this to happen in your life. And then he says, and by the way, when this happens in your life, when this, this great goal that happens in your life that I'm praying for, praying for this so that this will happen, these things will start taking place. And when these things start taking place, wow, what, what a picture of God's grace. What a new people. Okay, so, so what does Paul pray for? We find it in verse 9. Let's look at the prayer. Let's look at what Paul says he's praying for in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Here it is. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Let me read that again. He's asking, I'm asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So what that tells me is that even if I don't yet understand... What exactly that means, I need to, as a pastor, start praying that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's Paul prayed that, and so as a pastor I go, that's something really good, I need to pray for it. Now, we'll ask what that means in a minute, but we should start praying that. You should pray that, you should pray, God, would you help me to spiritually, un- help me to be filled with the knowledge... So, God, help me to start to understand something. Help me to start to perceive or believe, to really get it. Help help, help me to really get it. Your, the knowledge of your will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, what does that mean? I'll tell you what I don't think it means. I don't believe that Paul is saying, I hope, have you ever sought God's will on something? How many of you, well, I'll actually ask for your... Response. If you've prayed for God to show you something on a decision you're going to make, raise your hand. I have. Good. Okay, we should pray for God. God, I'm, I want to buy a house. Will you give me guidance and direction to buy a house? God, I need to know if I should take this job. you want me to take this job? Will you show me if you, I should take this job? God, will you help me show if I should marry this person? God, would you help me to know how I should handle this difficult situation at work? Because it's really hard. God, show me. We should pray for those things. That's not primarily what Paul is saying in this verse, though I think it can relate to that. What Paul is saying is not, God, will you show the Colossian church and each person what they're supposed to do in what type of job so that they have a message from God and then they know, ah, I should buy this house on Tickner Street or I should buy this house on Silver Lake or I should buy... There's something I would say much deeper than that. What Paul is saying is, I pray that you would be filled, and he says with a spiritual wisdom and knowledge, with a knowledge of God's will. And what he's going to say now, and we need to define will is his his overall plan and promises and way in which he's doing things, so that we are just you're you just under you go, oh, God, you are doing this. Just like the story of the Hebrew, you are understanding God is cre- who created the world is redeeming the world. And Jesus Christ is his son. And Jesus has come to bring salvation. And he came to bring salvation in my life. And actually, he has sent his Holy Spirit in my life, day in, day out. So it does relate to everything I decide. The house I buy, or this, I, I, I do all these things. I, it it Matters, But I want you to understand what God is truly up to and what that means in your own life. I want you to understand God's love and the gospel. I want you to understand how big God is and how glorious Jesus Christ is. And what does it mean to live in the supremacy of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is supreme and he is the ruler overall, and that matters how you think about elections and how you think of certain viruses that are spreading all over the world and how you think about jobs and how you pray and how you dream and how you spend money. It's going to impact everything, but I pray that you would have a revolutionized view of what God's up to and then what that means in your own life. That's what he's praying for. He says, I pray that your eyes would be spiritually open." Let me ask you this. Have you ever been in a place where you came to a a, a church service, you were listening to something on the radio, and you heard something, and you go, wow, that stood out to me. I don't think I've ever heard that before. And it's some profound truth about God and his word, the gospel, God's salvation. I've heard people say, man, I... I was 40 years old, I was listening to this sermon, and I heard the gospel, and it was like I heard it for the first time. And you go back, and then he goes back to his home church, and he goes, and they're preaching the gospel all the time, and they always have preached the gospel. And no, it wasn't the first time he heard that, but it was like, it was the first time his heart truly took hold of it. And as I've used this illustration, the coin dropped. And he said, aha, God is doing that. Now I believe it, and I love it, and I'm, I'm awake, I'm alive, I believe it. Paul's saying, I pray that every one of you would actually be able to better, with, with God's spiritual wisdom, with the Spirit, Holy Spirit's help, be able to truly perceive God's plan and what He's doing. And that's what God wants of you in your life, is to truly understand that. He wants, he wants you to truly grasp what God's love is. What God's doing in the world, what God, we don't have to understand all that God's doing. We don't. We have no idea what He's doing with elections. We don't know what He's doing in Brazil. We don't know all the things that He's doing in Sub-Saharan Africa or what He's going to do in Asia. We don't understand all those things, but we do know certain things that relate to all those things, and we're going to see them in the coming chapters, coming verses of what Jesus truly He really is. So He says, "I pray that you'd be filled with the knowledge of His will." Which We pray that. We seek after that. But why? So that we just, ah, that's neat. We got that. Good. That's good. But Paul says there's a greater purpose for that. He said, this is it. So that you would walk worthy and pleasing. He says, I am praying these things because I want everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord, I want every single human being, even, to walk, And that word walk doesn't mean literally walking. It means your entire lifestyle. Everything about you. To walk worthy and pleasing of the Lord. As you've received Christ Jesus, the Lord, now walk in Him. You're rooted and grounded in Him with your understanding changed so that you will live differently and you'll walk differently. I don't know how many of you ever grew up in a shame or honor culture. I didn't. Some of you may have lived in foreign countries. How how many of you ever lived in a foreign country, an Asian country? Not uh, not really any of you. But in in an honor or shame culture, you have the experience of where there is a culture where you are under obligation to live in a manner that is worthy of your parents or of your clan or of your nation. I was talking to Scott Dunford, if you remember him, he was preaching here in November. He said that when he lived in Beijing, China, during the Olympics in 2008, and he said it was a massive deal in China. I mean, they needed to get the Olympics right. They needed to have the most gold medals. They needed to have everything designed perfectly so the whole watching world would honor them, because that mattered. And in fact, there's probably certain leaders who were in charge of the Olympic program that if they got it wrong... They would. They want to kill themselves. They, there's a there's a new TV show um, that shows a futuristic possibility. What if there wasn't a war, What if we lost World War Two? Man and the Iron, the Man in the White Castle, and you have the Japanese, and you have the Japanese failing to accomplish catch the criminal that had tried to assassinate their their prince, and because he cannot, because he cannot find the. The person that assassinated him, the, the leader of the police decides to take his own life. Why? Because he is a shame to his family. He is a shame to his nation. We don't understand that. We say, all, oh, he made a mistake. He couldn't do it. It's not perfect. He's in his own individual. He doesn't have to live for all his family. That's not the culture that even Jesus was raised and that Jesus was writing to the Colossians. They were in a culture where they knew what it was like to live worthy of your parents live worthy of your of your clan, your city, of your state, of your nation, of your people. And you wanted to honor them and you you took and, Paul, and Jesus says to them he says I want you to live not worthy or pleasing so much to the family or to the clan but to your Lord. Where everything now changes. You want to so reflect upon and show how worthy not your family or your nation or your clan is, but your God is that saved you. And he says, I pray that these things, you will have a knowledge of God's will so that you'll walk worthy every day in 2016 here in America. You would walk worthy of Jesus Christ your Lord in how you how you spend and how you act and how you work and how you drive and how you do everything you do, how you talk, your language, everything. It's, it's transformed because you have been transformed. You've been rescued, and now you're just showing off your great creator, your great savior, your great Lord, and you love it. He says, I pray that that will happen. That's my aim. That's your goal. That's, in fact, I have to say, this is the aim of every of God's plan for every single person in the world. God intends to take humanity. God's plan for you, for every, for all of us, is to make us into beings who live not for ourselves, but for the one who made us, that we may please him. And here's the thing. Some of us say, okay, yeah, i got to do it, but that seems like he's selfish. No. The most loving thing God can do is to reorientate us back to what we were made to. And when we're... When we live how we are made to, to please God, we find the greatest satisfaction, the greatest fulfillment, the greatest fulfilling that God has ever gives us. In fact, it is a life of joy. It's a life of gratitude. It's a life of, life of hope. So that's what Paul's doing. Paul's saying, I pray for this. Be filled. Church, be filled with God's will. This is what I'm praying for you. So that you live in a manner worthy of the Lord, and then he says, "Here are four things." This is where I'm going to conclude. There's four characteristics of what this walking worthy looks like. You want to know what walking worthy looks like? Here's four things. Four things that Paul he uses four phrases, and in the in the Greek grammar, they're actually all parallel. They're using participles. There are four phrases I want you to see. Number one. He, he says, "I want you to be bearing fruit." That's number one. I'll, I'll, I'm going to read through them and I'll go back to it. Number two, I want you to be increasing. You'll be increasing in the knowledge of God. Three, you'll be strengthened by God for endurance. And four, you'll be giving thanks to the Father. That's, that's, what, that's what God's plan for new rescued people that are entering God's salvation. If you are a Christian, if you're a person that has been, entered God's salvation... He has you living on this earth for another 10 or 50 years. Somewhere in between. He has you living on this earth and he's got you for a plan. And that plan is for you to walk worthy of the Lord. And this is what it looks like. Number one, bearing fruit. God's intention for you is to be a fruit-bearing person. Of course, that's a metaphor. It's an analogy. You are to so live a life that your actions, the things you do, produces, brings good works. Now, we we believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ says that we are not re- rescued or saved because we do good works, and then God says, I'm going to pay you back. The fighter verse even talks about that. Could we ever give a gift to God that he should be repaid? No. There's nothing we could give him that he doesn't already have. But God's plan is to make us into his Workmanship, that's Ephesians 2, 10. We are made in his, to be as workmanship, created for good works. Good works are, yes, the fruit of the Spirit coming out in our lives. It's showing love. It's acts of love and sacrifice for one another. It's when you care for one another and pray for one another, when you give to one another. It's when you love your children, when you love your parents and honor them. It means when you love your neighbor for one another. It's you serve one another. God made you to live in a, such a way that will produce good works and show glory to God and say, what's different about you? You're different. What is it? I, I can't take credit. It's my Father in heaven. He saved me. If you really knew me, the real me, or at least the me that was born, that I, I am in myself, I am, I am not like this, but God came and changed me. He gets the credit. God is in the process of making each one of us into a a fruit-bearing Christian that that has good works. Are those works coming in our our gifts and our service and our love to one another? That's that's the first thing. He says, I pray that that will happen. Life worthy is that. But he says, secondly, interestingly, he says, increasing in the knowledge of God. So I pray that you'll know God's will more so that you'll produce good works and keep growing in knowing God more. Did you know that you will never stop knowing God and growing in the knowledge of God? You can't. He is infinite in His holiness. We can never stop growing. You, you, there's never going to come a time where we'll go, I know I know all there is to know about God and I have a full and complete relationship with God. God is in the process of, of growing you and as you grow and walking worthy of God, He's got more for you instead. He has... God intends to show himself to you, each one of you personally, to your own soul, to your own heart. He intends to open this book up into your own life and that this book would transform you. So that wouldn't be just something you open up once a week or once a month, but this book would bring God to you. And and bringing God to you, you have a relationship with God every day, all the day. Increased in the knowledge of God, Paul says. I want you to walk worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit, increasing in knowledge of God. Knowledge of God doesn't mean book knowledge; it means a real relationship. When I I have been married now for almost fifteen years, and I know Molly so much better over fifteen years. I know I know I know her intimately. I know her in all ways. I know I I've known her in the context of deep relationship and friendship and marriage. And, and so with God, we grow to know him. We know his heart. We know his ways. We learn to trust him. When we feel, we just, we, Paul says, I want you to walk worthy. And part of the way is increasing in the knowledge of God. The third is something that we so need. He says, the third, strengthened by God for endurance. We're strengthened by God for endurance. And he says it this way, may you be strengthened with all power power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. This church, we need to hear this. I know there's a lot here, but we need to hear this. As We're going to walk as believers in Christ, having truly understand God's plan for us. And we live in a world that's full of evil, full of sin, full of enemies coming. And we feel so much of that even coming into the church and coming outside the church that might Press upon our beliefs, Paul says, a man or a woman that is pleasing to God is being strengthened with God's might, the very might that raised Jesus from the dead, in order that you can have endurance and patience. Endurance and patience. He he says, that's that's a mark of someone that doesn't give up. Yes, I believe Jesus, but when things get turned up, I run. When things get turned up, I, I get just mad at God and I just flee. When things when things get hard, I, I lose my faith. And he says, a man or a woman that grows in this, grows is with God's strength. God holds them and helps them endure. Endure when trial and temptation come. He says endurance and patience. Th- there's not a whole lot of difference between those two words, but one difference might be, Endurance has to do with our circumstances in life. Think of all the hard circumstances in your life. You have to endure. Now think of the hard people in your life. because Okay, admit it. There's hard people in your life. Because we live in a world with a lot of mean people. Difficult people. You might have one close to you. You might have one near, far from you. But they are. It takes patience to live with them. It patience to live in a world with them. In a mark of a Christian that grows in Christ is they are armed with God's power to have patience with them and to live a life of love to them and fruit bearing and to endure those hard things when finances get really tight, when health issues threaten us, when all these things, God is working all those things and producing a life of that endures even when things get hard, endures when we have to be patient with people that are really difficult. Lastly, with joy giving thanks. He says, a mark of a person worthy, pleasing to God, He's, he or she is with joy giving thanks. This is a theme throughout Colossians. They're, they're just bubbling with thanks. They're overwhelmed with thanks. Why would they be thankful it's not made up. It's not this, i am got to tell myself to be thankful. It's the right thing to be thankful, so I'm going to be good and thankful. It's, I have everything to be thankful for, because God is filling me with the knowledge of what He is about and what He's done for me. God is love, and in the gospel of Jesus Christ, He's saved me, and he's, he's saving more people in the world, and he's, he's over all rule and authority, and I can trust Him in all things. Yes, He's helping me. He's keeping me enduring. I'm not going to give up. And I'm giving thanks. And that's how Paul ends this part. He he bursts out into praise to God. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified even me to be part of the inheritance of God's people, the insanes. And even me, he has has transferred me from Egypt and darkness and slavery. I was bound in my sin. I would never have chosen God. And he came and he scooped me up and he rescued me out of the grave. He came and he rescued me. We're going to use that language because Paul uses it later on. He, he brought me out of death into life and I rejoice. I'm a new person. I am rescued. I'm rescued. So here's, here are our conclusions. Let us as a church pray for this. Let's pray. Would you, if you would say, God, help me to every day pray this. God, help me to be filled with the knowledge of your will. Tell me to open this book. Do you know how you get filled with the knowledge of His will? This book, and we're gonna get, we're gonna see. He's gonna, He's gonna seek to answer that in this. You may be filled by, as Paul tells us that, that in Colossians, how we are filled with the knowledge by going to His Word, and He's gonna show us in Colossians what the knowledge of His will that He wants us to see. And would you receive God's grace in the gospel? Would you, would you pursue these things with me? Would you pursue these things as a church? Here's here's my invitation to you. There might be some in this room that God is calling right now out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his life. And do you know what he has for you? He has the gospel. And do you know what the gospel is? It's God's message of salvation. God's message of salvation is very simple, and all we must do is receive it by faith alone And he saves us. And that self-message is that Jesus Christ, who is the creator and king of the world, became a man. He died for our sins and for every sin of every person that puts their trust in him. And says, I want you to take my sins. I can't bear them. I can't bear them at all. You must take my burden. You must take my sins. And will you do what I need? Would you take me and make me adopted into God's family? you look to him and you receive him and receive that message of salvation and ask him to do that, he saves you. He puts a spirit in you. He begins this new life and all of this walking worthy becomes possible. In fact, not only is it possible, it will happen because he promises to do it by his spirit. Little by little until you, you go home to be with him. So I invite you in the gospel, would you bow your head and close your eyes before I pray? And I, I want to ask: if, Is it? I want to ask you a question. I haven't done this much. I want to ask you this: If, if you, if you're here this morning and would say, Pastor Daniel, I, I'm not sure where I am spiritually. I don't know if I'm truly have been truly rescued from my sin and brought into the kingdom of God. I don't know if I have truly been saved and rescued that way. And I want to know, but would you pray for me, Daniel? If that's true, would you, uh, with no one looking around, would you raise your hand? Thank you. Now, God, I pray that you would you would help us this morning to respond in gratitude. I pray that you'd help us to make this our prayer. Would you help us to make this our earnest desire this morning, to seek you to know have a knowledge of your will? Jesus name.